Thanks for tuning in to the Trinity Presbyterian Church weekly podcast. We're glad you joined us. Trinity is a member congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America and the Acts 29 Network. We are located in Owasso, Oklahoma. Follow us at trinityowasso.com. Also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Trinity Owasso. What is baptism? Is baptism a public profession of faith whereby one who is baptized is come to be immersed or sprinkled or poured upon with water as a symbol of their death and burial and resurrection of Jesus? If you grew up in a Bible or a Baptist church like I did, that would be the reason for which people were baptized. You were taught often. But what if baptism was even more beautiful than that? Still, some believe that baptism erases original sin, that through the baptism of an individual, the original sin is erased. Is that what baptism means? That is not what baptism means according to Scripture, we believe. Baptism is even more beautiful than that. Still, some believe that baptism regenerates the person being baptized, that that is, that makes them able to believe. Is that what baptism means? No. We believe that baptism is even more beautiful than that. And the Apostle Paul helps us see that this morning. So if you're willing and able, we're going to stand together. And let's read from Romans chapter 4, beginning at verse 11. Romans chapter 4, verse 11. He, that is Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who were not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression." That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. 
You may be seated. My older brother wrote me a very meaningful letter when I was a senior in high school. He gave it to me when I was a senior, and on the flap of the letter, he wrote, he typed, do not open until mom and dad leave and you are at A&M. This letter sat on my desk throughout my senior year. It was there when I went to graduation parties. It was there when I packed my bags to go to college. And this letter was there when I finally unpacked my bags in my dorm room, 408 Moses Hall, and my parents had left and were on the interstate. Christian baptism is like a letter that God gives to you with conditions upon which it may be opened. And those conditions are faith. This letter to me symbolized my brother's deep care for me. He wrote it long before I was actually in college. It symbolized his connection to me as a brother. It symbolized the importance and the significance of our relationship. It symbolized that there are things that I will experience one day, someday, when I would be in my dorm room alone for the first time away off at college, away from mom and dad. And Christian baptism, like this letter, also symbolizes the Lord's incredible love for you. How he has taken time, given you promises, shared things with you that only are for you. But they are conditioned upon certain things. There are seals over his letter, if you will. And in baptism, the condition to open the letter of baptism is faith. It is really interesting to me that when we talk about the idea of Christian baptism, the beauty of it is far more than we have often been practicing as Christians. It is that the Lord has given you this amazing heartfelt gift that one day you'll open. And for those of us who open that, as Gage will today, who have placed their faith in Jesus, you get the letter and you get to tear it open all in the same morning as he comes to baptism and as he goes to the Lord's Supper. It's going to be awesome. And for others who are children, they get the letter, but they can't, as it were, open it until the condition of that letter is met. No, it's not college. It is faith. With that image of the letter, let me give you the definition of baptism. Remember this. Baptism is a covenant sign and seal of God's faithfulness to his promises. Now, the beauty of baptism is that while Gage Witten the Long is going to come to the waters of baptism today, his baptism is really not portraying merely what Gage is doing. It's portraying what God has done. It is portraying God's love for Gage, set apart since before the dawn of time. Just like if you've been baptized, it was a picture of his love for you. It's what God has done in Gage, what God has done in Gage's parents and Gage's grandparents, and something that God gave us long before any of us in this room were born. 4,000 years ago, God gave a promise to Abraham and said, there will be a people that I will mark off by covenant signs that will be distinct and holy unto me among the nations through which I will extend my kingdom. 
And Paul tells us about that idea of covenant sign and seal in Romans chapter 4. In Romans chapter 4, Paul is speaking about the heart of the gospel, about the way out of our sin problem. He just spent Romans 1 verse 18 all the way to Romans 3 verse 20 talking about the problem of sin. And it's curious that then he shifts gears and he talks about how you can get out from under this problem of sin. Is it by works of the law? No, he says. And immediately after that, Paul says, it's not by works of the law. It is only by faith. And then he grabs Abraham. He's talking about faith and he's talking about works of the law. Why would he go to Abraham? Because Paul knew that the promises of the sign and the seal that God gave to Abraham, that was circumcision, are pictures of his covenant love and loyalty to his promises that when you believe, when you believe, not when you sacrifice bulls or goats, not when you do this or that, when you believe that all the blessings that he promised to Abraham are also to be yours. In this passage, Paul uses three words that are not common, as common to us today. They are sign, they are the word seal, and they are the word blessing. Sign is easy enough. Like when you see a bunch of grown men walk to the middle of the football field with pads on and they flip a coin, it's a sign that we're about to watch a football game. Or if you're driving down the road and it says one mile, gas, one mile away, it's a sign that yes, it's okay, you're going to be able to stop and go to the bathroom and fill your car up. It's a sign of something up ahead. Sign is easy enough. We see signs all the time. Seal is a little bit more uh, difficult for us to get our minds around, especially kiddos, because we don't write as many letters today and we don't seal them in envelopes as often as we do any, uh, as we used to because we have email. But a seal is something that verifies the, the authenticity of an object. It verifies the integrity of an object. When, when I send you a letter, it's sealed, and you know that nobody's opened it. The mailman hasn't opened it. Nobody else has seen it. It's for you. In the ancient Near East, kings would often seal things with wax in their signet ring, saying, this comes from the king's chamber, and no one has touched it. The courier hasn't touched it. The one who's delivered it to you hasn't touched it. It's yours. And you would know by breaking the seal and opening it up that it was, in fact, authentic, and it was from the one who sent it. A seal verifies the authenticity of something. Now, covenant, you see sign and seal in verse 11. You see this idea of covenant in verse 13. For the promise to Abraham, when you see the word promise, you can also think of covenant, the agreement God made with Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world. And then later on, you see verse 14, for if the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, well, faith is null and the promise is void. This is contract language. A covenant is an agreement between two parties that the agreement will be executed when the conditions are met. In the ancient Near East, the way that a covenant was written, the word for covenant is barith in Hebrew. It is to cut something. And Paul alludes to what happens with Abraham back in Genesis chapter 15. The story is that Abraham and God made a deal. And Abraham took and divided an animal in two, which was typical of the way that ancient suzerain vassal treaties were 
established the way that you made a deal back then. You cut an animal in two and you separated it out. There'd be blood on the path before you. And the parties would walk between the, an the animals, shake hands as it were, and say, this is the agreement. And if one of us breaks this agreement, that is what will happen to one of us. Blood will be shed. Except in Genesis chapter 15, do you remember the story? In Genesis chapter 15, God had Abraham take two animals and split them apart. But then the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Abraham. And who walked between the two animals? It was the Lord. It was a picture of the Lord. The Lord walked between the two animals as if to say, I, I will promise you, Abraham, I will promise you that even if you don't keep up your end of the bargain, which he didn't, he was asleep. I will be faithful to what I have promised. God said, as it were, I am giving you promises and I cannot swear by anything higher than myself. I am putting my name on the chopping block. R.C. Sproul said it like this. It says, though God said, may I, the immutable God, suffer mutation. May I, the eternal Lord, become temporal. May I, the infinite, become finite. God said, I will put my name and my integrity on the chopping block. And the Bible says a lot about covenant language. For example, the word salvation is used 160 times in the Bible. It's a lot of times. The word grace is used 130. But the word covenant is used almost 300 times. That's not to mention all the synonyms for covenant like you find in Romans 11, promise to Abraham. And it's not also to suggest that the importance of a word determines how many times it shows up in the Bible because the word sea shows up 400 times, but it doesn't mean the Bible's about the ocean. You get what I'm saying? But theologically, the word covenant is extremely important. And we need to know what it means. So here's the question. If Paul is talking about faith and works in Romans chapter 4, why would he immediately start talking about signs and seals and covenants? It's because Paul understood that participation in the signs and the seals of God's covenant throughout Scripture signified his faithfulness to every promise he's ever made, and he has sealed it in blood ultimately sealing them in the death and resurrection of Jesus for the gift of all of the covenant people of God, those who place their faith in him. Are you with me? In the garden, when, Adam, when God made a covenant of works with Adam, Adam did not hold up the, his end of the deal. He broke the covenant. And what did God do? God killed an animal, blood, and he covered their nakedness. With Abraham, what did God do? God made a covenant with Abraham. And at that covenant, God said, that you should circumcise your sons. That is, ask your parents. That is, that you should circumcise the male organ of the child to signify that you are set apart because it is through you, Abraham, that all the nations will be blessed. Circumcision involved blood. When God made a covenant with Moses, they were to enact the sacrifices of the temple. Why? Because it was a seal in his blood of God's faithfulness to his covenant. When God made his covenant with David, he said, one day there will be one who will stand on your throne forever. There was not an explicit sign of blood there. It was pointing, of course, 
to the new covenant when Jesus would say, just as Pastor Scott will say in a little bit, this, Jesus said in the upper room, is the new covenant in my blood. So the sign of God's covenant faithfulness was always signified with blood. And each covenant built upon the other. Like I said last week, it's like you're a smartphone. You get a new update. You get a new upgrade. It doesn't revoke your old upgrades. The phone operates the same way, but it gets bigger. It gets, there's more nuance to it. There's greater clarity to it. It does cooler stuff. And ultimately, Jesus was the fulfillment of everything the Old Testament spoke about. Now we can all be right with Jesus as it has always been the case, even from the very beginning, through faith. And the author of the book of Hebrews tells us, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and I will multiply you, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. And so the signs of the new covenant because the new covenant is gone not just to the nation of Israel, but it has gone global. It has gone not just to men, but to women. Women, the signs of Passover, they changed with Jesus from Passover to the Lord's Supper. And the sign of circumcision has changed from circumcision to baptism in the new covenant. Because if you read the Bible from coast to coast, you see that God never revoked the previous sign. You should still mark your people. But now it's gone to both men and women, boys and girls, all those who belong to God's covenant family. That's the sign. And so, deeply ingrained in the good news of the gospel of God's grace is the idea of moving from outside of the covenant family into the covenant family. And Paul immediately thinks about this when he thinks about faith. He sees this vivid example of the signs of God's grace. And we, as people today, have separated the signs of his grace from faith, as though faith is some abstract idea up here that doesn't really have earthly reality. God, guys, Christianity is so much more gritty than that. It is even more beautiful than you could imagine. Baptism is a covenant sign and seal of God's faithfulness to his promises. Okay, so what does baptism therefore signify? One historic and reformed creed puts it like this. The baptism is the sacrament. This is the way that the English Puritans would say it in the Westminster Confession. Baptism is a sacrament of the New Testament ordained by Jesus not only for the solemn admission of the party baptized into the visible church. That is the bringing him into the visible church. But it's also to be unto him a sign and seal of the covenant of grace, what I just talked about, of his engrafting into Christ, of regeneration, of remission of sins. It's a sign of these things. It's not actually causing these things. Don't misunderstand what it's saying. It's a sign of the regeneration, of the remission of sins, of giving up unto God, of his giving up unto God through Jesus Christ to walk in newness of life, which sacrament is by Christ's own appointment to be continued in his church until the end of the world. Now, the striking thing about the way that the confession is written is just one example to summarize what all of scripture says is that there's a lot of commas and there's a lot of clauses. 
So what does it signify? Well, first it signifies in being engrafted into Christ. Galatians 3 verse 27, Romans 6 verse 5. The term engrafting is borrowed from agriculture. And Paul uses it when he speaks of the relationship between Gentile believers and Jewish believers. And he describes the Gentile believers being grafted in as wild olive branches into the olive tree, which is the covenant people of God. That's what Romans 11 teaches. So then grafting portrays that something detached becomes attached to a host that is alive and active so that the attached branch receives life being now grafted in to the trunk, to the tree. It grows. And and grafting is one of the most vivid illustrations of the prophets used in the Old Testament. And baptism signifies that when the condition is met, when the seal can be opened, when that condition is met, which is faith, all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ enter into a personal spiritual union with him. They're not, just member, they're not just visible members of the body of Christ. They know him personally. And they come to the Lord's table to celebrate that as they're strengthened in their faith. Are you with me? Not only grafting into Christ, but the regeneration of the heart. John chapter 3, verse 5, and Titus 3, 5. Baptism signifies that we are sinners and we need a new heart. We are Not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners in the corrupt fruit, as as, as Scott said earlier, as we did the confession of sin, flows out of a corrupt nature. When we sin, we are doing what just comes naturally to us as fallen creatures. And the sinfulness portrayed in Scripture is often portrayed in the language of uncleanness or purity. And in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, in the temple, there was a special vessel called a laver which, which, with which they would cleanse, they would clean the instruments used in those sacrifices and they would be set apart as holy to be used the next time. In the same way in the Bible, God describes being holy as being cleansed like those instruments in the temple. You are set apart, which is why the Christian church uses water not blood anymore, but water as a picture of being cleansed, of being renewed. Not at the moment when a, when a, uh, when a, when a child or, or when an adult is baptized, but it's a picture of what is symbolized in that act. Make sense? Third, remission of sins. Mark chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Acts twenty-two sixteen. 16. Baptism is a picture of the remission of sins. When one believes in God, in Christ, in his finished work, one is justified. That is, that the Father sees that his condition has been met, that there has been an infinite sacrifice paid to dispel his wrath, and those who believe are covered with the righteousness of Jesus. Sins removed and righteousness given. That is pictured in baptism. Christ became our sin bearer. He became our scapegoat. He is the one who removed our sin from us to the uttermost so that when baptism is administered, it is a picture of our sins being removed as far as the east is from the west. It doesn't actually remove them because you're not saved by works. You're saved by faith. But it's a picture of that. (sighs) Baptism is so beautiful. 
Not only does it mean engrafted into Christ through generation of the heart, the remission of sins, it also means walking out in newness of life. This is the famous passage of Romans chapter 6 that many of us grew up with, buried with Christ in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in newness of life, right? It's a picture of that. We want to be raised. We want to walk in holiness. It points to our giving up into the Lord every area of our life under his lordship. A process that we are gradually and progressively being sanctified to do all the days of our life until glory. It is a picture of that. So that is what baptism symbolizes. It symbolizes all the intricacies and the beauty of what God has promised to do when the condition of faith is met. Those become the covenant blessings. And it is a seal in that it verifies the authenticity that God will indeed execute the covenant blessings that he promised to execute when the condition of faith is met. Baptism is not about the one being baptized, but rather it is about what God has done to set apart a people for himself and his promise to us. Now, what about his covenant blessings? Today, because Gage believes the gospel and is coming to be baptized, much like several weeks ago, months ago now, Shepherd came to be baptized, which was so cool. Gage will not only see the things signified by his baptism, but he'll also experience the realities as a believer in Jesus. He gets to rip open the letter. <laughs> he stands apart from his parents on his own two feet, and he believes. And I want to invite all of you who've been baptized in obedience to Christ's command to reflect upon your own baptism and build upon it. It is curious to me that in Colossians chapter 2, when Paul is writing to the church of Colossae, when he wants to encourage them against temptation, when he wanted to say, I'm going to give you tools to fight temptation of being taken captive by the philosophy of this world, what does he say? He gives them a reminder of their baptism See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of God dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith, through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. In other words, not only do you see in your own baptism a way to be strengthened in your Christian walk, but you've experienced that because of your faith. And it's tied to the same sign God gave to Abraham in the Old Testament. The English Puritans said it like this, how are we as Christians to build upon our own baptism or use the opportunities when you see someone baptized to think about your own and the Westminster Larger Catechism says, the needful but much neglected duty of building upon our baptism is to be performed by all of us all our life long, especially in times of temptation when we are present at the administration of it to others in the following ways. By the serious and thankful consideration of the nature of it, by being humbled for our sinful defilements and for the ways in which we fall short of it and we walk contrary to the grace of baptism and our commitments to it. 
by growing in our assurance of pardon of sin and of all the other blessings sealed to us in the sacrament, by drawing strength from the death and resurrection of Jesus into whom we are baptized. We are baptized into Christ. The Greek word is ace. You are baptized into something from outside the circle to in the circle, not just in in Greek, en, like you're in the circle and you're, you know, baptized in the name of Christ. You're baptized into a body. You're brought into a community. You draw strength from that. And by walking in brotherly love, since we are baptized by the same spirit into one body. So as you watch this baptism, you're to be thankful for the Lord's work in your life. You're to be humbled by the fact that we don't live up to all of those promises, but we long to. We are to be assured again of God's covenant love to you, even though I know, God knows you messed up this week. He's not angry with you, friends. He wants to draw you into his grace and remind you and let you run to the table in a moment through faith and repentance. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to call you to holiness. He wants to call you to love. Even before I opened that letter, years ago, even before I registered for a class, my brother's letter signified to me that something big was happening between me and my brother. And the letter contained stories of our relationship when we were growing up together. He shared perspectives of, of watching me grow up, and he prepared me for things that I was about to experience, things that I could only appreciate when I was out of my parents' house in college. In baptism, Gage, is like a letter that Jesus gives to you from your older brother, an older brother that you don't have physically, but you do have spiritually because Jesus loves you like crazy. And it's a picture that long before you could ever open this letter, he loves you like crazy. And he cares for you and he's given you promises that you'll think about when you're as old as some of the people sitting on that row with you, brother, who love you. Those who have been baptized as children are holding the letter. And those who are baptized as adults get to take that letter and rip it open at the same time. It's awesome. May we see that the beauty of baptism points us to our beautiful Savior who extends his covenant of grace to us. Baptism is a covenant sign and seal of God's faithfulness to his promises. Whatever you've thought about baptism before, maybe, just maybe, it is far richer and far more beautiful than that. And if you don't know Christ this morning, and you see this baptism, and as you watch people come to the Lord's table, would you know that you too can be made right with him? It's not by doing good works. It is not by all of the gymnastics morally that we try to do to build a ledger before God. It is by faith alone because it is what Christ has done for us on the cross that allows us to be heirs of the covenant. And that empowers us, therefore, to live holy lives fully devoted to him all the days of our life. And it is sweet. Money cannot buy it. And it's yours if you believe.